Welcome to Inside the Banjoverse, exploring the minds of folk music's great artists. If you love the stories behind bluegrass, Irish, folk and Americana, then this podcast is for you. This is Enda Scahill from Irish bluegrass crossover band We Banjo 3. Before you freak out, don't worry, there's actually four of us, and mostly just one banjo. That's me. Followers of We Banjo 3 on Twitter will know that we spend quite an amount of bandwidth slagging off the accordion. But truly, there are some incredible players out there, none more so than David Munley from a small island off the coast of Mayo called Belmullet. Recently, I got to chat with Dave, and the conversation went in a lot of places that neither of us expected. Very philosophical, very deep, and very thoughtful. Dave is an incredible musician, and an even nicer guy. I hope you enjoy this. Right, so I'm here with David Munley. David is an incredible accordion player from Mayo. I mean, it's his one downside being from Mayo, but we let him pass. Uh, Dave, very, very well known on the Irish music scene right across the world, uh, would have played in the US for many, many years, and no less than with our own Fergal Scahill, who was in the Dave Munley band for a long time. And Dave then was in the Netherlands, and now he's back home in Mayo. So how are you going, Dave? Good, and thanks a million. Very good. Yeah, surviving this uh, this madness at the moment, but uh, yeah, good. Can't yeah. complain. Yeah, yeah, surviving is what we're all doing, I think, and yeah. yeah, maybe thriving. Well, I, there's a, you, you kind of have to look at at the you know look at where you want to go from it, you know, and, and, and kind of what you want to get out of it and maybe use this time, like musically, use, uh, use the time for planning or, or creating stuff for, uh, do you, don't sit back and... Yeah, do you, have you found it hard to be creative in the middle of this pandemic? Because I've spoken to a number of people who've said, God, we're six weeks into it now and I haven't felt like writing a note or singing a song or doing anything, but I'm starting to kind of come around to maybe creating a bit more space now? Well, initially, at the beginning, we were hearing so much doom and gloom and, and kind of Armageddon stuff. And and uh, and then uh, over time, I hate to say it, but it, it kind of becomes normal. It becomes, Jesus, the same crack again today. And it's, uh, yeah, should be like this for a while. So, and, and, and kind of the, the, not the excitement is the wrong word, but like the, the experience of it kind of wears a bit, out and and the excitement of it or the the, the fear of it mm-hmm. wears uh, out and and you become kind of back to yourself again in a way and, and and like for those people that were saying that they start eventually to start writing or playing music or, or over time that, that that that's kind of a a normal process that you I don't know you become in a way less affected by it what you hear on on Facebook yeah. or the news or, or so on would you have any worry that you can to be reluctant to go back out into the world at the end of it, or it'd be, it'd be a strange process to go and meet people again. I, I do think about that sometimes. Like I have a lovely place here in Galway, and I think 
I might like to stay here forever, but eventually I'll have to go back out and it'll be very strange. It, it, it'll be, it'll be different. Uh, like, I mean, because uh, I'm, I'm mad into history stuff and lately I was watching, we say, uh, the, the Black Death, for instance, when that happened. Like, imagine what they were thinking when that, that eventually subsided and they became back into society and they started going out doing their shopping or, or going out back to work. Like, how do they think the same? Do they think, Jesus, well, this is all over? Like, or, will I be able to... I think what we have to do is look at the past and think that these things and things like it have happened before and people became to a level of normal yeah. and normality and, and, and functioning again. And, but, uh, but I'm a great believer in humanity, uh, as, as weird as that sounds for an accordion player <laughs> from Mayo to say that in, with all sincerity. I, I believe that the, the, for every... For, for, for not using profanity, but for every asshole that there is, there, there's a hundred amazing people, scientists, nurses, doctors, good people yeah. that sometimes we don't focus on. We focus an awful lot on crap news cells. And, and I think if we focus way too much on that and forget about the fact that, Jesus, there's hundreds and thousands and millions and millions of, of amazing people out there at the same time. Yeah working at the same time alongside these crazy people or, or these conspiracists or, or people that are thrive on, on, on kind of crap. Yeah. But going back to your thing about, about will it be strange to go back out into society, it, it'll be different for sure. Like, and, but over time, it'll, it always finds its way back to... Some form of... To, yeah, and, and to be able to meet up at festivals and, 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 and you know, go out to gigs again and stuff like that, you know? And do you think part of that uh, that kind of um, life living idea has that informed a lot of your music? Because I, I'm very familiar with your music, and it's very, very joyful, very energetic. Yeah, yeah. What I, I, again? The the belief and and then the love. And, again, not to sound like a you know just like a, kind of one of these kind of feel good gurus, but I actually think that 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 that, that, that if you kind of believe. And also believe in the niceness of people and believe that there's, it has to affect you in everything you do. Like, I mean, it affects the way of, more than Galway people, Mayo people have a tendency, no matter where they are, they wave at people. For instance, to be walking down the street in LA or New York or, you know, Sydney or Ulaanbaatar, you know, and then how's it going? It's kind of normal to us, you know. <laughs> yeah. The breed of the culture is in you. Oh, geez, how's it going, Skin? How's the crack? And, yeah, it isn't. Uh, Tommy Tiernan talks about that, isn't it? It's a sort of a wild lunacy that uh, runs through the Irish people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, he's, uh, well, he's right. Oh, he's yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a wild kind of. But at the same time, we not given a crap either. Like, I mean, we'd say hello to people just if they want to say hello back. Wouldn't well if they don't. At least I don't mind it. Keep yeah. on. So you, you're a long time in music, and I remember you when I was in college in Dublin. Uh, which is a long, it's about twenty-five years ago. A long time ago, no way. And you were yeah. one of the first people. You were, you were in, you were doing a music course, and I, I had all the details all up in the air. I was doing some mad course that I ended up working in for a while. Um, but you were, I mean, people were talking about Dave Munley. He's, he's doing this music course in Dublin. Was it in Temple Bar? 
It, it was on Dame Street. It was a, a course called Coulter. Was these back in the days when you were the ponytail? Yeah. <laughs> but not many people know that now. No, they didn't know much about my clothing uh, choices back then either. The clothing choices was something else, yeah, the colourful yeah. shirts. And yeah. I've seen young Gogarty's one evening. You were playing there, I think, with Peter Brown or something. That was a good while ago. Yeah. But the course was on Dame Street. It, it, was, it was kind of between Ballyfermot and, and some other crowd. And I think I came into it around the second year, myself and Peter Malloy from Westport and, and Neil Lyons, the Boron player, uh, Darrell Bracken. A few of them lads were, were hanging around there at the time. And uh, a course is a, a funny word for what it was, but it was a great crack. It, it, it was a, a chance to kind of get out of Mayo for a while. But you were hugely committed to it. That's what I, what I remember from it was that you were driven to make a career for music. Is that yeah. fair assessment? Well, I, no, no, it would be. It would be. Like, I, may, like I, 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 used, I tell people, like, up to the age of seven, I wanted to be a priest because I had an uncle in the priesthood and I thought, this is great, crack. This, <laughs> this is money for nothing, you know. And then after seven, around the age of seven, my uncle, who's an accordion player, I grew up in a house where every Sunday, my granduncles, the, the few that were still alive at the time, I lived with my mother's mother, who was a, a melodian player as well. And every Sunday after mass, a gang would come to the house and they'd be drinking tea or bottles of Guinness, I remember that time, and eating what's remnants of the dinner that was left. And, and then they go playing and singing. And I had uncles and granduncles at the time that just came into the house and played music. And I remember seeing this red thing with loads of white buttons on it and funny writing down the front of it and thinking, geez, that's a, I want one of them. And I knew my uncle played it and I knew my grandmother uh, played something like it. And they said, geez, I'd love to start, you know. So, so I, I grew up with a love of music, first of all. And then to say what you're saying about that came later, the, the, the love of what to do as a profession, as something that you want to do for a career. Not even the word career didn't come into it. It's something just you want to do. Mm. You just want to, this is what you're comfortable at. This is kind of what you believe in, 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 in a weird way, that you, you think that this is the reason you're here. Or this, over time, you start realizing, what the hell is we're not here just for the crack of it, or we're not here. We're not all here to go to Trinity, or to become accountants or doctors. Some, so I, for my love of music that that I got in the house, I must say, like my grandmother and, and these people who I'd have heard initially or, uh, in the early days playing, that t it was something magical. It was this sound and 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 also the the, the socialness around it, the crack and and, and the stories and. They were like a member of a club. They were members of a club, mm. like a big club that meant something to them, and they were all kind of senior members of it. And uh, <laughs> and I was looking at it like that, thinking, this is fantastic. They, they all kind of connect with each other, and they can connect with each other without even opening their mouth sometimes. They can pick up an accordion or a fiddle and play a few tunes. And, mm. Yeah. It was and that was enough for them. Perfect atmosphere for very shy people, int introverted people that could just... Exactly. And, and I suppose there would be a kind of touch of that in me as well. Like, I mean, it, it was a way of exp expressing yourself without v maybe verbalising or shouting it from the hilltops kind of thing. Or It was a way of, uh, this is who I am, and I'll, I'll just show you. And, and, and you play a few. And, and again, all that came later. Mm -hmm. But in the early days, it would have been a way of, geez, this is amazing, this stuff. And, and, and you start remembering words and names that might we say these people would have mentioned, like James Morrison, the fiddle player, for instance. My grandmother was a big fan of James Morrison. So when I got old enough, I started researching James Morrison 
And then that would have led me on to Michael Coleman and John Kimmel, Melodian player, and mm. the Flanagan brothers, for instance, who were there. Also, my grandmother would have been a massive fan. And, and, and I got hooked into that kind of music and and, and the expressiveness of it and, and, and the, the strangeness of it, like thinking they were Irish immigrants or some of the more Irish immigrants or this, the kids of Irish immigrants taking on this very different vaudevillian kind of jazz-like music are, are, are integrating it with, with reels and jigs and so on and, hmm. and, and making a career out of it. Like, like these were the first bands they were the first we band your three of Irish traditional music. Or yeah, they were the first. I played. Uh, I played Mike Flanagan's banjo recently in New York. His daughter came, and her entire family came to a couple of gigs recently, and brought brought the banjo along to play it. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely yeah. people. They're awfully proud of their heritage. Oh, why wouldn't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, like, like them people. Mike, Joe Flanagan, Louis Flanagan. They were. They were one of the first to kind of sit down and orchestrate and to plan and to integrate. Like, like, like sometimes we forget that way before Planksty and Dead Annan and the Bathy Band, there were people doing this as well. And, and even in Irish music, we forget that, that in 1910, 1915, there was guys getting together and, and mixing Irish music with klezmer and Jewish Yiddish music. They were mi- mixing it with early jazz music. Uh, some of the guys that Morrison and Coleman recorded with were, were studio lads that were probably in the day before recording a, a, a jazz or a, a classical album. And we have an Irish lad coming in tomorrow when you hang around and stick down a couple of chords behind him or something. So, Speaking but, of, will you, will you play something right now? Will I play something now? Yes. Yeah. I, I, I have a dog out barking. <laughs> I was going to say, it's like when I interviewed Sharon Shannon, the dogs weren't barking, but they were climbing up on top of her head. They were climbing up on top <laughs> Um, play something maybe. I mentioned the Flanagan brothers, for instance, but they, they, lately I was thinking of a couple of band dances they played, and uh, uh, there was a set they recorded called The Heart of Man. And again, these titles they'd have put on it was very kind of. I think they put it down because it could only fit on the, the, the record sleeve or something like that. But there's, there's two band I'll give these a guess.
Wonderful. Wonderful. That's, that just describes your music for me to perfection, which is, you know, really influenced by that 1920s sound, but incredibly flamboyant, but not in a, not in a kitsch way, just in a, in a, in a really glorious, joyful kind of a way. That's how they played. Like, first of all, they had to impress. Uh, they were putting on a gig. Yeah. We have to realize that we have recordings. We have early musicians. We, we know of them because they had to get out there. They had to perform. Uh, and not in, I grab your money and go kind of way. They were actually kind of informing as well. They were educating. They were leaving. Thank God they were leaving stuff behind them for the likes of us to, mm-hmm. to grab onto and, and to be influenced by. Um, and sometimes the word entertainment and 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 culture sometimes they, they, they get muddied up together. That they, they, sometimes the word entertainment is a bad word in music. That it, it becomes very it becomes about showy or or, or you mentioned the word quiche, for instance. You know that yes, they had to make a living. Um, they were professional musicians, uh, especially for for that time. The story I was talking to Mike Maloney about it, and who's a great collector of this stuff and a, and a kind of an expert on the Flanagans, for instance, in particular. Like for, for the 1925, 1926, they'd be doing gigs for two, two and a half thousand dollars gigs, which is like fifteen, twenty thousand dollars today. So they were. It's not that they were doing sitting in the corner playing a few tunes, but they were actually doing real rock star level kind of gigs for their time yeah and for the genre of music that they were in so but uh, they were flamboyant players uh, you know yourself they're the flanagans you mentioned mike flanagan also other people like james morrison had a band was an amazing accordion player called tom carmody who came from castle island in Kerry, and they just became kind of landmark figures on their instrument they became virtuosos. They were Paganini's of their, you know, on 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 their instrument. They liked the John Kimmel, for instance, who was composing music, commissioned to write music for a tinky melodian, and composed frightening music. And is part but of also was an entertainer. Is 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 part of the fact that they were entertainers and they were very colourful musically? Is that what it, is so attractive to people? You know, around that nineteen, that what we call the nineteen twenties, the kind of golden era of Irish music, because there was lots and lots of really good music happening in Ireland. Of course, they weren't recording it commercially, but there's something really exciting and colourful about that time, isn't there? there? There was because, and I think the difference between with Ireland and what you heard at the same time by their brothers or cousins that would have emigrated was the mix with other musical influences, other ethnic music. So, in Ireland, you have traditional music. We wouldn't. It was an island nation. We say at that particular time, the late 1800s, early 1900s, coming out of the famine, you know, we're just getting ourselves up on our feet again, looking for a bit of work and a bit of food and, you know, so on. Okay. The boys that went to America, they were this amazing place where there was loads of people that they know from different parts of Ireland. Remember, people would have had to go to America to meet people from Cork, from Donegal or from Sligo. They wouldn't have let them so much in Mayo or Galway. So... So they went over to America. They were in the likes of New York and Philadelphia and Boston and all these places. And in one corner, they'd have a load of their own Irish. And then around the corner, in another block, they'd have Germans. They'd have Italians. They'd have uh, 
the people from the, 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 down in the bayous in the south, there, for instance, as, as some of the early jazz boys were coming up to New York, the Buddy Bodens, the Joe Olivers, all these guys were in around America or in around New York at the same time that that some of our boys would be going over, the Lado Burns and the, and the Michael Coleman. So there's a guy called Harry C. Brown, a, 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 a kind of a, 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 a Negro a banjo player, a four-string banjo player who became... Uh, one of the leading exponents of the what they call the classic banjo style. So he'd have been kind of very vaudevillian. And, but a lot of his stuff that he was singing about was anti-Negro uh, uh, um, music. So singing about his own people in a very derogatory and rotten way. But he actually made a massive name for himself. And some of his influences you can hear in, in the Flanagan Brother recordings, for instance. Um, so you'd have Irish musicians mixing with a soup of other ethnics, mm. uh, ethnic uh, cultures and peoples, and was that was that part of the reason that you moved you, you moved to the Netherlands and were there for? I, 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 I moved to the Netherlands for tax reasons. And, uh, <laughs> okay. No, I didn't. I didn't. I, I actually started going over to. Imagine if we finished the conversation here. He <laughs> must have money. No, I don't have money. No. Um, I moved to Holland. I started going out to Dutch girl about it's about eleven or twelve years ago now, and about ten years ago, I remember we were driving down from Galway one night, and she said, "Jesus, you know, we start taking it a bit serious now." And uh, there's kind of this discussion came up: "Will will I come over here, or will you come over there?" Kind of thing, and without batting eyelids, I'll go over. Now, for a young lady from West Mayo to say I'll go over is like, but I said it without actually thinking, like, and. Three months later, I was packing my car and driving up to, to Dublin and driving across England to go to Holland to live, where I, I actually have lived until uh, last February when I moved back to Ireland. And I moved back because I moved over there for for, for someone, but, but, but also kind of wanting to find out what's going on up here. And I had my own issues with that. I had levels of depression and so on that I was kind of dealing with even here. So there's a lot of grey here for me. That's on the personal level. So you went over, madly in love, in this lovely city, Utrecht, which is a gorgeous city in the centre of, of the Netherlands, and starting finding out who this person was. And in a weird way, and maybe it's, again, it's an Irish thing, you have to kind of go away to, to find who you are kind of thing, yeah. in a weird way, mm-hmm. that, that sometimes you kind of get too cushied up in, in the little bubble that is sameness or, or who you know ireland or, or again as an irish musician you can be very much pigeon boxed or you know that's who you are mm-hmm. from ireland playing accordion bang that's who you are and that didn't kind of sit well with me really so you, you, i don't know was it uh it, it wasn't something that was kind of very well thought out it, it just happened and it led to me finding out different sides musically personally a minefield of stuff that maybe I wouldn't have come across so easily if I stayed in in in, in County Mayo. Yeah, and you're not, yeah, so, to be challenged geographically and culturally like that. Culturally, uh, like very much so, to be challenged culturally and, and and to be challenged within yourself, like throwing yourself in the uncomfortable deep ends every so often. Yeah, you know, and to <laughs> say, I don't know this place. What am I going to do here? Uh, 
What do they say about getting into a relationship? It's like throwing Miracle Grow on your character defects. <laughs> <laughs> That's very good. Wouldn't, wouldn't the Miracle Grow at us though with a dung? <laughs> dung. Uh, uh, and seaweed and stuff like that. It's way better than Miracle Grow anyway. Ah, uh, yeah, like that Miracle Grow. Real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, and, and ironically, there's a lot of dung thrown on stuff as well, and, and dung came out of a lot of relationships. But at the same time. Uh, we learned a lot about uh, ourselves and 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 during that time this kind of music thing was happening I started pressing buttons in really strange ways and, and pressing the buttons on the other side of the instrument and, 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 and trial and error was creating its own kind of different sounds because you have an amazing band called Samurai which uh, the accordion Samurai project which yes. is, yeah it, it, it's a, a kind of a mix of five different accordion players from all over Europe yeah. That happens to be two. At the moment, there's two from Italy. There's Kepa Hunkera from Bilbao, the Basque. There's uh, Marco Lapista from Helsinki. So you have a Finnish guy, a Basque, myself, and two Italians, Ricardo Tessi, who's the godfather of the, the diet. The, the, the button accordion is very different in Europe than it is in Ireland. Mm-hmm. So we talk an awful lot about the, the greats. You know, you mentioned Sharon, for instance, but you're like we have Marching O'Connor, we have in the past Joe Crowley, we have Joe Burke. In Europe, there's different levels of uh, different types of music. Different, the accordion is a totally different instrument. Uh, in Europe, we have Marc Perron, we have Ricardo Tessi, we have all these guys that were taking the diatonic instrument. Different, different instrument, different layout. Uh, in Ireland, for instance, we have a distance of these two rows here, there's a distance of a semitone. So this is a C sharp D, or you have B C. In in mainland Europe, the two row instrument would be a distance of four tones. So you have G C or C F. So you wouldn't be playing, you know, the Harris Paw on it or anything like that, or you know, this McLeod's. But but in you'd have a very certain countries have a very strong accordion tradition. Italy, for instance, Sardinia. The island of Italy, the uh, amazing accordion tradition, and very, and as a young fellow living in not only Holland but but hearing all these different things, I'm being asked to join this band. First of all, geez, it was frightening because I knew of some of these guys, knew how important they were to that instrument in the world, like and how they were revered, and and I managed to kind of write two pieces for this project and to show up uh, for a residency for a week where we'll get together. And design and a CD's worth of music. I was thinking, Jesus, really just can, can I do? And, and that's the deep end there. You're thrown into it. You're, you're not only are you thrown into the deep end of the pool. You're in a black plastic bag at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're really like. I mean, it's not only can't you not swim. You have to get out of the plastic bag first. <laughs> so, and that was it. And I remember. And to me, it's no the the, the 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 character of a person is the fight and flight thing. You know, when you when you feel right, I have to kind of show me socks here, like or otherwise, what am I about? So, and I'm, I I'd be a great man for kind of throwing myself in these deep positions. Or like, there's an old saying, like if it's not broken, don't fix it. Well, I break it to fix it again. <laughs> you know, and and that's kind of how I, I look at things. Is that the, the, the square peg could fit into the round hole if you bait it hard enough. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a metaphor for life. 
else fucking team stuff there now. So if you keep say, be, be, beatings will continue until morale improves. Yeah, <laughs> there you are. Isn't this testament for it? Like, we're, yeah, we're around the place in a way, emotionally beating ourselves up, beating ourselves into that round hole. Sometimes thinking, oh Jesus Christ, would this ever give up? When really we could. Here I am today, no more than yourself, looking out at the sunny west of Ireland here, uh, looking down at Caramore Strand, Lewisburg County, Mayo. Weirdly enough, the sun is shining, you know, mm-hmm. dogs barking. And and you can only look at that and say, Jesus, isn't it great? Isn't it? And, and maybe as much as the crap that's going on at the moment, that there's might be a lot of good might come out of it, you know. Is that part of the musician's makeup? That sort of con- continual self-doubt and self-criticism, is that what makes people brilliant? With the level of optimism at the end of it. So it's a kind of a, a mix of like, it's like the, the jelly and custard. Oh, Jesus Christ, I should write this down. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like on one side you have this lovely, or, or just like, or no, it's like, no, it's not jelly and custard because both them things are nice. <laughs> it's like Brussels sprouts and T-bone steak. <laughs> The Brussels sprouts are there, and geez, do you know what? I'm not keen on them. But feck of the steak is there, and do you know? Shall I eat these old things? I'll get through these first. I look forward. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but I, I, as I was saying, like, is there a, is there a level of of of, of self doubt? I, I think that's what, in a weird way, that's what kind of makes you stronger. I think mm. if you keep if you go around thinking you're brilliant, I don't think you're going to go any further than that. Yeah, that's true. That's so, but, but now, see, then there's this side of it. Well, if you keep doubting yourself, that's not good either. Okay, but there's a healthy level of doubt. There's a healthy level of self-critique that I think anyone that is any way creative or anyone that's even do, anyone that's going out in the morning driving a lorry or driving a bus or, or, or digging potatoes, I think you have to have a level of, am I doing this right? And... I can't wait. For, I can't wait for these buses till I go home. <laughs> so, oh, there's plenty of lads driving lorries, and I don't think there's anything going so dramatic. <laughs> and I often wish I'd have been happy digging potatoes, but I wasn't, because I had a job that uh, paid loads of money, and yeah. I could do it in two hours a day without thinking about it. Mm. And I hated myself. You hated yourself. Yeah, yeah. My wife said, "If you don't leave the job," she said, "I'm going to end up leaving you," because it wasn't challenging or anything, and it was. It, it just. But, it wasn't but, about the money. But, but even even just the word challenge come into it. Like, does it does it speak to this? And that's another thing. I think it's it's not even the word challenging. It's it's you could do it in two hours. You said right. Yeah. But at the same time, you could sit back and say, "I'll take the money and watch TV for the rest of the day." Mm. But when you're speaking to this, yeah. And for the length I know you, I think there's more to you than. Well, I I used to go fishing. But uh, you never got any satisfaction out of a salmon that you caught when you were supposed to in the office. (laughs) (laughs) Because you know them, you could sell them. But it wasn't even about that. It was always like supposed to be somewhere else. First time I caught a spring salmon, right, 10 pound salmon. And I was so thrilled with myself. I was literally now jumping up and down on the side of the river. I'd been a few years trying to get one. And uh, I I rang Gillian. And I said, I'm after getting one. I got one. I got one. I got one. He's 10 pounds. He's huge. I was so excited. Silence on the phone. She says, it's four o'clock in the afternoon. You're supposed to be in the office. <laughs> oh. Oh, I was like, oh. Jesus Christ. I should have so rang. Sad. I should have checked the time first. 
cold salmon for you that evening. Yeah, it was a bowl of cornflakes for you that evening. <laughs> but 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 over, okay. But then what did that say to you? Like did that say, all right, I have to address this? Or was that was that around that time you were thinking? Yeah, that was about the time. It was. And was it a guilt? It was, because you should have been doing something else. But you were out. But, yeah. And I just got to the stage then that the, the, the band got so busy that I couldn't do the two at the same time. Yeah. And then I had to choose one or other. And there was that part of me, that kind of Irish part of me, uh, growing up in the 80s, which was like, stay with the pension. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But thankfully, Jill made it a very simple decision. She was like, yeah, yeah. it's either me or the pension. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus, fair play to her. But yeah. but maybe that was that was your inner, like like what made you go fishing? Do you think apart from loving it, what was it an escape to? Something's at me, and that's why that's why I think sometimes we turn to music or we turn to something for us that something is at us here, yeah. and and we can't maybe verbalize it at the time, and we can't we don't even know what it is. It's probably there staring at us, and we can't recognize it, and. Mm. It takes something like, well, it's, it's either me or, you know, or, or, or the fishing. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. Well, um, without a doubt, that's the hardest aspect of lockdown for me is that I get such an emotional release. And it's not even on a conscious level from touring and from playing and from, from the performance aspect of playing. Yeah. And often I'll be at home for, I could be home for two or three months at a stretch and then go back out on the road. And by the time it's time to go, I'm very ready. And often Jill will say, it's time for you to go on tour again because there's this sort of pent-up energy that needs to get released. And I go on tour and within two days, it's like, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm back to kind of, kind of homeostasis has been achieved again, you know. And then I'm ready to come home and, it's just, and now I'm looking at being at home for quite a long time. So it's, uh, and I can't even go fishing right now. That's <laughs> it's John West for you, so... Uh, <laughs> But, but but then I suppose the challenge is to find something else in you, like and even the, this initiative you have here of reaching out to people and, and asking the questions and, and communicating and expressing the very questions you're asking me and, and the openness of it. And I think that's what's lovely about, I, I think it's, it's something that we don't address sometimes ourselves. I, I think everything is great crack. <laughs> everything is brilliant. It's fantastic. Jesus Christ, I'm mighty. And really... And, and we're afraid. It's not that it is and it isn't. It's that, but there's always a little but, and sometimes that but is massive, but we don't want to address it. We don't want to, and, and, and these questions are important. Why are you that person? Uh, why are we playing music? Why do we want to go on tour? Why, why do we want to express ourselves and, and, and show ourselves? And, and, and that's for a different topic as well, a different conversation, but I think we, should, we shouldn't be afraid of these questions and, and more people like yourself, thankfully, should be kind of having these chats with people and saying, right, mm-hmm. tell me who you are. And I think we're probably, we've time now to answer those questions like we've never had time before. No, no you're right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Will you play us an air, Dave? Slow air? Yeah. All right. Because I know a few, I know a few you've recorded are magnificent. Oh, yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I, lately, because since I moved back here, I, I, there's a lovely mountain, you know, as well, the Maumeen Mountain in uh, near Maum in North Connemara. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I live across the fjord from Leenan, and just behind Leenan, there's a hill there called Maumeen, and it's gorgeous. And it's, again, not to be too airy fairy about it, but, but there's something about it. And that's, they're the things you can't explain verbally without being ridiculed or, or laughed. But, you know, 
that there's a, a vibe in it, there's an energy in it. And coming back from it one evening after walking or, or trying to walk up it, I, I made it as far as the gate. <laughs> Jesus. There's a tarmac wouldn't kill them. But anyway, uh, and I wrote this tune on the, on the drive back to Lewisburg from it. So it, it's called On Morning.
Thank you for listening. If you loved this episode, please head over to our website, webanjo3.com, to subscribe, rate, and do leave us a review. It makes a huge difference. See you next time inside the Banjoverse. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.